When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, friends, sports bettors, and followers of the Church of Gamblor. Welcome to the September 15th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. As promised last week, I didn't have a Tuesday episode. I have a Tuesday episode for you this week. Uh, I'm not going to miss another Tuesday episode. I've got to stick to this uh, two-day-a-week schedule. We are in full swing of the NFL season. My week one of the NFL bets, the 16 bets for 16 games I gave out last week, did not go well. Are not going well. I shouldn't say have not because they're not completely done yet. Um, recording this on Monday night. Uh, third quarter just started between the Giants and the Steelers. I'm on the Giants. I need the Giants to cover tonight, and then I need uh, the Broncos to cover in the late game just to salvage my week. Bad weekend of, of NFL betting, but I'm not going to get into that this episode because this is the non-NFL episode. Uh, so I'll be giving a full recap as well as my week two picks on Thursday's show. Uh, so be sure to have uh, to keep an eye out for that. But on this show, we're doing everything non-football. So I'm going to start out with my best bets for Tuesday evening. So my best bets for September 15th. Then I'm going to move into my uh, betting preview, key stats, and picks for the U.S. Open. That's right, the second golf major of the 2020 I guess it's not the 2020 season, because technically it's a new season on the PJ Tour. Second major of 2020, period. The U.S. Open is this weekend, uh, so exciting times for golf. It kind of snuck up on me with uh, all the excitement of the NFL, but I'm going to give uh, my betting preview for that. And then I'm going to give my fades that you all should fade for the UFC this weekend. Uh, it's not a pay-per-view card. It's a UFC Fight Night card, but it's very good for a Fight Night card. Probably one of the best uh, Fight Night cards non-pay-per-views of the year, in my opinion. So I have three picks for that as well. Uh, And then to finish the show, uh, I'm going to give some tips for people who want to get into the sports betting industry Uh, because I get DMs all the time of people wanting to know how I got my job, how they can get jobs. Uh, And then I might answer an email or a DM or two uh, that I've got from some listeners. So that's going to be today's show. Don't want to waste more time. I don't have anything else to say um, except for, of course... Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, rate it, give it a review if you want to feel ambitious, if you want to feel even more ambitious, there is an option to donate to the podcast if I've helped you win money either by following my winning picks or if you've faded my bets and won money that way, uh, donate to the show. Uh, There's a donate link in the description where you can donate through PayPal, also you can go to the website, uh, I think it's baconbetspodcast.buzzsprout.com, if you just google baconbetspodcast it should come up. And there's a button in the top right of the page. It has a coin, a little heart over it. You can click on that to donate through that way. Uh, don't feel like you have to donate, I always say. But like I said, if I've helped you in the past win some money, if you feel like you want to donate to the show, uh, please do. 
But without further ado, let's get into the September 15th episode of the Bacon Bets Podcast. More bacon than the pan can handle. 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 Utility man. All right, we're going to start off with my best bets for September 15th. Tuesday, September 15th, best bets. I have three in Major League Baseball, and then I have a pick for tonight's uh, NHL game. It is game five, I believe, between the Lightning and the Islanders. Correct? Lightning are up 3-1. Yes, game five. Just wanted to double-check. I'm terrified of always making a mistake on this show, especially a dumb one, and then I get people to call me out for it. I didn't make a mistake. It's game five. Uh, but let's start with Major League Baseball right off the top. I'm going to try not to be distracted while I record the show here today because I do have the Giants and the Steelers on in the background. Giants, second five, third quarter, 10 minutes left. They're down 16-10. It'd be another push for me if it stays at that. But uh, I'm not going to keep talking about that. Let's get into my best bets for tonight, September 15th. Technically tomorrow night for me, but you're listening to this in the future. It'll be tonight for you. Or it might be picks that I made in the past. Listen along to see how bad I was. Or maybe I hit all of them. Maybe I swept. Um, I've actually done pretty good the last two Tuesday episodes uh, with them. What am I? I think I'm like 5-1-1 one, and one, the last uh, two Tuesday episodes combined. Uh, well, yeah, let's go with that. I, it's a winning record at least. Uh, we're going to start off with the Mets taking on the Phillies. A little NL East action. I'm going to take... The New York Mets, minus 110. Also, by the way, same disclosure, disclosure i got to say on every show. I locked these in Wednesday night before, sorry, Monday night before uh, recording. So the odds you see are probably going to be a little bit different from the odds I'm citing on this show. But nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to take Mets on the money line, minus 110. So it's a pick em against the Phillies. It is Rick Porcello going to the mound uh, for the Mets. He's a right-handed pitcher, 607 ERA, 291 FIP. I'll come back to that in a second. And then a 1558 whip. Jake Arietta gets a start for the Phillies. Right-handed pitcher, 554 ERA, 459 FIP, 1487. So one of the reasons right off the top of the, uh, the top why I like the Mets. I mean, both these pitchers, their stats aren't good. Six ERA, five and a half ERA. But Rick Porcello's FIP is 291. Uh, if you didn't listen when I explained FIP a, a couple episodes ago, uh, I mean, I don't understand the math behind it. Uh, it gets a little bit complicated, and I'm very much so an idiot, especially when it comes to math and kind of any advanced statistics. But it basically takes your – it's supposed to take the pitcher's ERA and then take away kind of stuff that happened on defense, unlucky bounces. It basically gives each pitcher a league average defense. So if your FIP is different from your ERA, then that kind of shows the ERA is hiding some things. So in some cases, a guy's FIP will be a lot worse than their ERA. That kind of shows that they're overperforming a little bit. Or in this case, their FIP is a lot better than uh, the ERA. I mean, the FIP's more than 50% better than the ERA. So that tells me that he's kind of underperforming. The ERA isn't really showing the full story. Uh, so 291 FIP, but 607 ERA, that's a huge difference. Uh, so I kind of like Rick Porcello there. Arietta, 554 ERA, 459 FIP. So his FIP is a little bit better than his ERA as well, uh, but not quite as good as Rick Porcello's FIP. So I kind of like uh, Porcello there in that starting pitching matchup. His whip isn't as good as Jake Arietta's, but uh, maybe that has to do kind of with the bad defense the Mets have as well. 
bigger reason why I like the Mets in this one, the Mets first in batting average versus right-handed pitchers this season, 288. Fourth in OPS versus righties as well, 838. Philly's pretty good offensively as well, 10th in batting average at 253, 14th in OPS versus righties. Also, I think uh, if you want to take it a little bit closer than that, uh, just looking at August 1st, so just a little bit more recent games from August 1st onwards, Mets first in on-base percentage, third in OPS since August 1st. So their bats have just come to life recently. Uh, and another reason why I like this bet Phillies, of course, and I've talked about this on the show before, dead last in bullpen ERA this season. Bullpen ERA of 7.27. Now, if you want to shorten this and just look at games from August 1st onwards, Phillies still dead last, 7.37, even worse recently. And Mets bullpen, while season long, is 13th at 4.38. Um, Mets bullpen has actually been a lot better recently. Since August 1st, they're actually 5th in bullpen ERA at 368. I remember at the start of the season, they had a lot of those. Uh, was that a trick play I just missed, or was that just a rollout right of the 4th and 1? Sorry. I'm going to not get distracted by this Giants game. Uh, since August 1st, Mets, yeah, they blew uh, a few games. Their bullpen blew uh, a few games. Uh, Edwin Diaz did uh, at the start of the season, but their bullpen has been a lot better recently. 5th in bullpen ERA since August 1st. Uh, so I think the Mets have the starting pitching advantage by a slight little bit. If I'm looking at that fit number, uh, they have a slight offensive advantage, and then they have a pretty massive bullpen advantage in this game. Now, I am taking the Mets, but if you want to bet on the total, I almost took the over 10 instead. When I looked at it, this over 10 was even money. Uh, but the Mets' good bu- bullpen made me a little bit nervous for that. And also, neither team played at least today. They're not playing Monday night, so their bullpen's going to be... At least a little bit rested, so I assume all their better relievers are probably going to show up tomorrow night, I would think. A rested bullpen. Uh, so that made me shy away from that total a little bit, but if you want to uh, bet on both, or if you want to take one of those props where it's like Mets and Mets to win and the over hits, I would like that as well. But uh, I'm going to pass on the over. I'm just taking Mets minus 110 and a pick em versus the Phillies. So that's my first bet of the night. Next one, I'm go- I got two total bets coming up next. That's another reason why I didn't want to bet on the total for the Mets because my other two picks are total bets. I didn't want to do all three totals, but the next two are going to be totals. Kansas City Royals, Detroit Tigers, the game of the night. Game of the night. I'm sure you're all sitting down with a six-pack and a couple mojitos and maybe a half a pizza and, I don't know, a couple wings maybe to watch this game. Uh, Danny Duffy, left-handed pitcher, 424 ERA, 4.77 FIP, 1.221 WHIP. Matthew Boyd, left-handed pitcher, 7.63 ERA, 6.14 FIP, and 1.603 WHIP. Uh, so both starting pitchers absolutely stink, especially Matthew Boyd, 7.63 ERA. How is he still starting? Uh, I mean, right there, two bad pitchers, that's a good sign already. But big reason why I like this, so both starters are lefties. Royals are 19th in average and 23rd in OPS versus righties. Tigers are 26th in average and 27th in OPS versus righties as well. Well, good thing they're not going up against righties because against lefties, Royals, 6th in batting average, 14th in OPS versus lefties. Detroit Tigers, 1st, very 1st in Major League Baseball in batting average against left-handed pitchers, and then 5th in OPS versus lefties. So both teams wild difference between right-handed pitchers and left-handed pitchers on the offensive side of things. Both bottom half of the league, near the near the bottom of the league in batting statistics against righties. Both teams, at least in the top 50% in the Royals' case, but I mean top five in the Tigers' case when they're going against lefties. So 
Big difference there for both teams, and they're both facing against bad lefties. Good bats against lefties, bad lefties starting. This is a recipe for the over. I absolutely love it. By the way, it's even money. I don't know if I mentioned the juice. Over nine at even money is what I got it at. Uh, and then finally, we'll just look at the bullpen. Royals' bullpen is actually not bad. Tenth in bullpen ERA this season. Tigers are down at 26th. Uh, so Tigers' bullpen absolutely stinks. Uh, so a lot of factors there towards a lot of runs being scored, I think. So give me the Royals-Tigers over nine at even money. And let's move on to my final Major League Baseball bet of the night. Giants are in the red zone. Let's go. Uh, Athletics, Rockies, under 12, minus 120. So I'm fading the over at Coors Field. Uh, so anytime that you want to handicap a Coors Field game, especially if you're betting on the total, it gets a little bit tricky. Because, uh, I mean, Rockies, well, let, let's get into that. So Sean Sean Manea, Sean Manaya, I've looked it up and I still forget how to pronounce it. I've watched a ton of athletics. I've actually watched a lot of West Coast games this year in Major League Baseball for some reason. Um, I'm a night owl. I stay up till like 2 a.m. every night. I don't know what's wrong with me. I actually had a job. My job before this one um, was from 5 p.m. until 1 a.m., uh, and I actually just turned myself into being nocturnal. So there was like a year and a half, two years where I would literally uh, wake up at around 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, cook breakfast at like 4 p.m. in the afternoon, start my shift at 5 p.m., get off at 1 a.m., and then I'd play video games or computer games from 1 a.m. until like 6 or 7 a.m. and then sleep. Uh, when the, when, when the, I could hear birds chirping and the light come through you know, the window, that was time for me to go to sleep, so... I would sleep from like 7 a.m. until like 3.30 p.m. So like I was literally nocturnal for a year and a half and I just have never been able to break out of it. Ah, oh, the Steelers just got an interception, did they? What happened? No, I think the ball hit the ground. Sorry, I'm not going to get distracted. But I was literally nocturnal. Anyways, digress, double digress back to the game. <laughs> My point is I still don't know how to pronounce Manaya's name and I've heard it and looked it up a million times. It doesn't, doesn't stick. I'm terrible with names. He gets a start for the Athletics. Uh, people watching this looking for the pick are like, Ian, get on with it. Jesus Christ. All right, Sean Manaya, left-handed pitcher, 4-4-6 ERA, 3.33 FIP, 1.181 WHIP. Antonio Sensatella, right-handed pitcher, 3-6-9 ERA, 4.7 FIP, 1.211 WHIP. So both guys are pretty decent, to be honest. Uh, Sean Manaya's FIP is a little bit better than his ERA. Sensatella's ERA is a little bit better than his FIP. But both decent starters. Uh, I mean, neither of them are, are obviously going to win the Cy Young, but they're, they're fine. Uh, now, this is where the numbers get kind of tricky because Rockies ninth in OPS versus lefties. That gets cranked up to fourth when they're playing at home. But then you think, well, I mean, that's not a true tell because, I mean, if they're playing at home, then obviously those numbers are going to be cranked up compared to the rest of the league. But then again, this game is at home. So I guess we have to use those numbers. So fourth in OPS versus lefties when they're playing at home. So that's not a good sign for the under. A's not great though. A's eighth, or sorry, twenty fifth in batting average versus righties, seventeenth in OPS. So A's bats is generally aren't that great. Uh, but the main reason why I like this is the A's bullpen. If you don't know, A's A's have the best bullpen ERA in baseball right now. Two point one two, second best bullpen ERA on the road. Uh, so it's not just like when they go on the road they get lit lit, uh, lit up either. Indians are the only team that have a better road bullpen ERA than the A's. Also, by the way this point in the season you might want to say ian what about recent games well since august 1st the a's have the single best bullpen era at 2.04 so even better era recently 
Uh, Rockies second last in bullpen ERA at 6.2, but really they aren't that bad considering they're 16th in bullpen ERA on the road. They just get lit up when at cores, but I guess that's important because this game is in fact at cores. Uh, so I know, I mean, runs are going to be scored. This is not going to be a 3-1 game, but I just think 12 runs, uh, even though it is at Coors Field, I just think 12 runs is a little bit too many. Both solid starting pitchers. A's offense isn't great. A's bullpen is fantastic. I just think 12 is too many runs, despite it being at Coors Field. Uh, so the juice on that's minus 120. So those are my three MLB picks. And then I got a pick for tonight's Game 5 in the NHL between the Islanders and the Lightning. Uh, I'm taking the Islanders. Uh, I'm going to take the Islanders. Lightning can finish them. They're up 3-1 on the series. They could advance to the Stanley Cup Finals with a win. Um, but I don't think the odds are right. Uh, so, I mean, before let's just get that out of the way before I get into kind of the reason for this bet. It's a value bet more than anything else. Have the Lightning been playing better this round? Yes. Are they the better team? Probably yes. Do they deserve to be minus 175 favorites, though? I, I, I don't think so. I don't even think – I think that's way off for the odds. Uh, when looking at stats for this round, Lightning do have better 5-on-5 Corsi percentage at 53.8%, but the Islanders aren't really a big Corsi team to begin with. That kind of defensive style they play usually doesn't uh, result in a high Corsi percentage, so that's fine. Lightning are getting slightly more high danger scoring chances 5-on-5, 14.98 per 60 minutes this round compared to the Islanders at 11.65. A uh, big difference maker in the series is Golden. Lightning have a save percentage of 92.17% compared to the Islanders at 86.72%, which has not been the story of their playoff run so far. They've actually been getting fantastic goaltending uh, so far these playoffs. But this, I mean, that's kind of uh, live by the sword, die by the sword. If you're going to play a defensive style, you can't play a defensive style and then have your goalie let in a couple bad goals. You need solid goaltending if you want a defensive style of play to work. Um, if they can get good goaltending from whoever it is they put in the net this game, uh, Varlamov or Grease, Grice, Grease, they can steal game five against the Lightning. I think so, at least. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't have any numbers. If you're waiting for numbers for me to cite that the Islanders have the advantage, and they don't. Just about every single statistic, at least the ones I look at, the Lightning have a slight advantage in all of them, but that's what it is. It's a slight advantage. Uh, Varlamov has a good game. Uh, Vasilevsky doesn't have a great game and the Islanders can easily win. So at plus 155, I have to take that bet all day. Also, by the way, this is kind of an emotional hedge. You all know my history with the Islanders and the Islanders fan base. So the Islanders win this game. I win my bet. The Islanders lose this game. I can finally tweet that I knew the Islanders are frauds all along. So (laughs) I'm excited for whatever the result is in this game. A little bit of an emotional hedge for you, uh, for me. So there you go. Those are my four best bets for Tuesday, September 15th. Do what you like with them. Uh, bet on them. Bet against them. Fade me if you want. Uh, parlay all of them, but I would not recommend that. Parlays are a waste of money. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Parlays are fine. If it's like two big favorites, maybe in like an MMA or UFC, parlays are fine. These people who like parlay just like five, six plays all at once, just normal like spreads or whatever. Listen, we're already losing enough money long-term to these sports books. You're just accelerating that by playing parlays all the time. Yes, it's awesome when one finally hits, the one that you hit every three months, and then you bragged everyone that you know. Uh, but I know about those parlays you don't tell people, the tens and tens and hundreds of hundreds of parlays you've played uh, without telling anyone that you lost them. I see you. Don't pretend like hitting a 14 parlay makes you a great gambler now. Don't allow yourself to trick yourself into thinking that. Parlays are a sportsbook's biggest moneymaker. Stay away from them unless you want to do like a buck or two just for shits and giggles. But 
Someone needs to hear this. I'm talking to you, fucking, I don't know, Jeremiah, Jeremy. I don't know, making up names. Someone listening to this needs to hear it, though. Stop playing parlays. But like I said, do what you want with those picks. Just to recap them, Mets, minus 110 against the Phillies. Royals, Tigers, over 9 at even money. Athletics, Rockies, under 12, minus 120. And then Islanders, plus 155 against the Lightning. Those are my four best bets for September 15th. Let's get into the meat of the show. The thing I'm most looking forward to as far as an event and the most thing I'm looking forward to most as far as handicapping, it is the U.S. Open. And I'm just realizing that Daniel Jones threw an interception on the Steelers' goal line, so not great for my Giants plus six bet. I swear to God, I'm not going to keep watching this and get distracted. Let's get into the U.S. Open. Second major of 2020, as I talked about at the top of the show. I've already I've only taken one week off from betting on golf. For some reason, it feels like it's been months. Uh, Safeway Open was last weekend. It was a weird event. I mean, it was just a field of all average golfers playing on an easy course, which is just a handicapper's nightmare. Phil Mickelson was the pre-tournament favorite to win. If Phil Mickelson's the favorite to win a non-PGA Tour Champions event, uh, which if you don't know, PGA, uh, PGA Champions, that'd be 50 years old to play. Phil Mickelson just uh, just turned 50 this year, played in his first event, and just destroyed them. So uh, he's obviously already t- he's, he's too good to be playing on the Champions Tour. So, uh, But he was the favorite at the Safeway Open, uh, which, I mean, that was a sign to me. On a PGA Tour event, he should not be the favorite. And if it is, that's a sign of how bad the field is. So that was a complete stay away for me. Plus, it was the first week of the NFL, so I knew I wasn't going to pay attention to the Safeway Open whatsoever. But we're back to betting on golf. I'm not going to miss a major or really any tournament that has half-decent golfers in it. Um, so, I mean, I'm kind of confused. Is this So the 2021 season started with a Safeway Open. So does that mean there's six majors in the 2021 PGA Tour season? There's two U.S. Opens in the same season? I think that's how it's going to work? Or, or is just no FedEx Cup points are going to be won this weekend? I don't really know. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's a U.S. Open. It's being played at winged foot. Uh, Let's get into it right now. The course is a par 70 that stretches over 7,400 yards. So it is a long par 70. Three of the four par threes are over 200 yards. There's also a par five that measures 640 yards. This course is treacherous. Uh, The U.S. Open was held here at the West Course at Wingfoot Golf Club one other time before. That was back in 2006. Do you remember who won the 2006 U.S. Open? It was Jeff Ogilvie, the Australian. Uh, he actually won it. Speaking of, I was just mentioned Phil Mickelson. He actually won it against Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson blew his lead on the 18th hole. All he had to do, uh, Phil was par of the 18th hole, and he would have won his U.S. Open, which is that event that he just can't win. He's one major away from the career Grand Slam. He's won the other three. He just can't win a U.S. Open. He has a ton of second places. This was one of them. All he had to do was par the 18th hole. He could have bogeyed the 18th and pushed for a playoff, but he double bogeyed it and lost. One of the biggest chokes of all time. Sucks for Phil. Uh, that, I mean, I can't say that was tough to watch because it's 2006. I was like 12 years old. I wasn't watching golf back then. Um, but the replay of it was tough to, <laughs> tough to watch. Uh, only 11 players recorded a round under par that weekend in 2006. Not only 11 players finished under par, only 11 players recorded one of the four rounds as under par. This course is actually near impossible. 
Jeff Ogilvie, his winning score at the U.S. Open that year was five over. So we watched the BMW Championship a few weeks ago being played in the tough course. There was like four or five guys who finished under par for the event. John Rahm won it, but he still won it like four under. In 2006, the winner was five over. So it's going to be even harder than that event. His course is just absolutely treacherous. So let's look at the top five odds to win right now. Dustin Johnson, 8-1. to one. He's the favorite. That completely makes sense with how well he's been playing uh, recently. Uh, actually, I'll touch on this in a little bit, but I actually kind of like him this week. I'm not going to bet on him, though, because I refuse to bet on favorites pre-tournament uh, for a PGA Tour tournament. Second on the odds list, John Rahm. That makes sense just because of how well he's been playing uh, recently as well. Plus, he won the BMW Championship at that tough course, so he's showing that he can play... Uh, he can play well in courses where birdies are few and far between. And then Justin Thomas, 12-1, to Xander Shoffley, 14-1, to and then Colin Morikawa, who won the PGA Championship, and Rory McIlroy, both at 16-1. to No Brooks Kepka in this event. The guy who's dominated the US Open the past few years. Uh, was it two years or three years he won it leading up to it? It was two years he won it, right? He was going for the three-peat last year, and Gary Woodland stole it from him. Um, no Brooks Kepka is hurt, so he's not in it. Uh, so if you just want to bet on the guy who's the last few years has dominated all the majors, you're not going to be able to. But let's get into my key stats for this event. This is a very tough event to handicap. One, because there's been no event since here since 2006. Number two, it's just so, so, so difficult. Uh, so mental game is going to be a huge factor, and that's impossible to handicap. We've got to get guys who aren't going to implode themselves if they get a couple bogeys or even a double bogey or two. So it's going to be tough to handicap, but I like my key stats that I have for it. First one's going to be ball striking. So it's just tricky to handicap from a tee shot perspective specifically because if you try to play it safe and keep it short off the tee, that's fine. You can do that, but you better keep it in the fairway because you're going to have a long approach shot on your second shot if you do that. And the roughs are, I mean, if you've seen videos, the roughs are almost going to be near impossible to get hit out of. So if you try to keep it short and play it safe, you have to keep it in the fairway or else you're absolutely screwed. But then the guys who try to bomb it into the fairways, the fairways are tight, so it's going to be hard to keep it in the fairways. And they're kind of set up in a way where you can hit the fairway, but then the fairway is just so tight, and a lot of them curve just kind of right at the end, that you could just roll through the fairway and then end up on the rough on the far side. So, I mean, if you do that, you're kind of fucked anyway. So, it's not going to be short and accurate hitters necessarily. It's not really going to be long hitters. It's going to be a mix of the two. We want someone who's decently long, but also pretty accurate as well. Pair that with hitting the greens and regulation is obviously going to be extremely important as well. So let's just pair all those three together, and that's what ball striking is. Ball striking is a combination of uh, driving distance, driving accuracy, and greens and regulation. So that's going to be the first key stat. It's going to be ball striking. Second is strokes gained approaching the green. As most U.S. Opens, good iron play is the key to winning this event. The greens are already difficult, so it's not only going to be about good putting, it's also going to be about good ball placement. So basically every single green at this course slopes down from the back to the front. So keeping the ball below the pin and leaving yourself an uphill putt is hugely important. Uh, these guys who aren't very good approaching the green, they, they're going to run into trouble. Because if you miss the green long and you have to chip back onto the green, from the top of it, the green slopes away. So good luck saving power if you, if you miss if you miss long. Because you've got to chip back on the green and then it's just going to keep rolling forever. So let's get good iron players who are high on the list of strokes gained approaching the green. Third key stat, rough proximity. 
so this is a stat I used for the PJ Championship. It seemed to work for me then. It's one that I generally like to use with majors that have thick rough, like this year's US Open. I mean, this rough is... Look up videos of it on Twitter. It's it's insane. It's diabolical with what they're doing to these players. Uh, so what rough, rough proximity is, it's how close the golfer will get the ball to the hole when their approach shot is from the rough. I mean, generally, if you, if you don't golf, hitting from the rough can be extremely difficult because it's hard to judge how the ball will release from it. Uh, it's diff- it's also difficult to add the spin you need to to get it to stay on the green. So this stat will give us the golfers who are good from the rough, which will be extremely important this week. Then scrambling percentage. This is probably the one I choose the most often. But, I mean, even more important here because in an event where the winner is going to be over par, the winner is going to be over par. It's going to be. Uh, we need guys who will limit the bogeys as much as possible and be able to save power when they don't hit the green in regulation. Then bogey avoidance, which is along the same idea as a scrambling, uh, but it's, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Uh, wing foot at this course, we need guys who, they're going to get bogeys, but we need them to get as few bogeys as possible. So big importance on bogey avoidance in general. Uh, and that kind of gets paired with the uh, fourth key stat, which is scrambling. And then the last one, I'm doing six key stats because I'm tossing in strokes, gain, putting as a key stat. Because by all accounts and by the videos I've seen, these greens are some of the toughest greens in America. Undulations, slopes, they're fast. Bad putters have absolutely zero chance to win this weekend. Zero chance. We have to have at least good some good putters. I saw one video, pretty sure it was from this year, and I'm pretty sure if it was from, from Winged Foot, and by pretty sure, I mean I'm almost positive, but I'm going to say pretty sure just in case I'm wrong. Uh, I kind of have an oat. Uh, so it was a video of a guy literally just putting. He was beside the green, like a, a foot from the green, but he smoked it like 20 feet away, and the ball just went all 20 feet, stopped, and then rolled all the way back down to the pin and went in. So these greens are, are just unbelievably hard. And the Giants just punted again. I really thought the Giants were going to cover this game. It's not looking good. Um, so those are the key stats. Ball striking, strokes gained approaching the green, rough proximity, scrambling percentage, bogey avoidance, and strokes gained putting. If you want to look at par 4 scoring, that probably wouldn't be a bad idea as well. I didn't add that into the key stats because I think some of the other ones are a little bit more important. But it is a par 70, and I have said in the past that with the par 70s, a lot, I mean, two more par 4s in a par 72 course. So that wouldn't be a bad idea to look at par 4 scoring as well if you want to. Also, since we don't have past performances to gauge for this event since it hasn't been held here since 2006... We're instead going to look at this year's BMW Championship, or at least I would recommend that. As I mentioned, John Rahm won it, but only five players finished under par for the event. Apparently, it's a pretty similar setup, except even more difficult. So if you're looking for a course to compare it to, that would be a good one. Uh, And also, by the way, uh, one more footnote. If you're looking up these stats yourself and you go to the PJ Tours uh, stats website... Uh, be sure that you're looking at 2019-2020 stats, because right now it's going to be showing 2020-2021 stats, which is one event. Uh, Safeway Open was the season you know, opener. So if you don't change it over to last year's stats, then you're going to think Stuart Sink is a good bet. <laughs> so be sure to look at last season's stats. And I mean, last season only ended like 10 days ago. So last season is still very relevant. Uh, so be sure to make that switch if you're on the PJ Tours website looking at the stats yourself, or else you're going to be very confused. All right, let's get into my picks. Last major PGA Championship, I went through every golfer and gave my thoughts for everyone. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm just going to give my three picks, but then I'll, I will talk about some other popular names as well. But let's get into my picks first. First, Xander Shoffley. I know I picked him for the Tour Championship, the last event that I did a preview for, but come on. 
don't get mad at me because there's a few specific reasons why I, I like him here. I, side note, why do guys get mad at me when I do that? Sometimes when I've like bet on the same golfer two weeks in a row or like three times in a couple months, I've had people get mad at me for that. If I like a golfer, I like a golfer. So regardless, I digress once again. Xander Shoffley, he's 14 to 1 to win. I'm going to bet on him to win. I'm also going to bet on him top 10. So he's 14 to 1 to win, top 5 plus 340, top 10 plus 155, top 20 minus 140. So I'm going to take him 14 to 1 to win in top 10 plus 155. Uh, also, don't forget, by the way, I did just pick him a couple weeks ago at the Tour Championship, but he almost won it for us. If Dustin Johnson had a hiccup at all, Xander Shoffley was right there, finished second place. Or might, might have been tied for second, but he second regardless. Uh, so very good form. That's going to be important too. We can't have guys who are coming in, the, in this tournament in a slump. But let's look at his stats because there's a few key ones, key, few key reasons why I love him. So ball striking tied for seven strokes gain approaching the gain tied for 37. The proximity from from the rough tied for 158th. Uh, so that is not a strength for him. That's his one weak point. But there's a couple reasons why I'm willing to forgive him for that. And the and it is because of these next two stats: scrambling percentage second, bogey avoidance fourth. So in a tournament where it's going to be the winner is going to be over par, a guy who can scra- second best scrambler and fourth and fewest bogeys that is going to be massive this weekend. Those two reasons are why I love Xander this weekend. He's in good form, finished second of the Tour Championship, and he knows how to avoid getting bogeys. Strokes gain putting, also a pretty good putter as well, 33rd in strokes gain putting. So Xander Shoffley is going to be my first pick. Uh, going to my second pick, I'm going to take Tony Finau. Now, right before you say, Ian, why would you bet on Tony Finau? Don't worry, I'm not going to bet on him to win. There's no way in hell you're going to get me to bet on Tony Finau to win an event uh, until slash unless he actually wins one that's not the Puerto Rico Open. I bet on him too many times and he's at the lead late. And I get fucked every single time. I still have nightmares of the Phoenix Open. I bet on him live uh, during the final round. And what, he had like a two-stroke lead or one-stroke lead uh, over Webb Simpson there going in the 17th or 18th hole and just blew it and then lost in a playoff? Ugh, never forgive him for that. I had a lot of money on that bet, too. Uh, Tony Finau, he's not, his first win since Puerto Rico Open's not going to be at a major. But he is a beast at finishing uh, close to the top of the leaderboard, and I like a, lo- a lot of his numbers, too, so... Uh, the ones that stick out to the, the most for his numbers, he's 21st in strokes gained approaching the green, fifth, tied for 15th from proximity from the rough, so he's one of those guys who are very good from hitting it from the rough. Uh, 32nd bogey avoidance, pretty decent putter, tied for 69th. Nice. Uh, ball striking 68th. So he's pretty solid across the board. Um, that one, that proximity from the rough is a, is a key factor. Also, that BMW Championship a few weeks ago, which I've mentioned, he finished 5th there, so he knows how to play on tough courses and to avoid bogeys. I'm going to take him top five at six to one and top 20 plus 150. So Tony Finau, top five plus 600, top 20 plus 150. That's the second golfer I'll be betting on. Third and final one's going to be a little bit of a dark horse, but maybe he shouldn't be a dark horse. And that is Harris English. One of the best golfers on the PJ Tour that nobody really talks about except for sports bettors. Betters kind of understand how good Harris English is, but it kind of seems broadcasters and people in the media don't give him the credit he deserves. He's been sneaking around the top of leaderboards lately in almost every single event. So his odds are 80 to 1 to win, top 5, 12 to 1, top 10, plus 550, top 20, plus 250. I'm going to take him top 10 at plus 550 and top 20 at plus 250. So top 10 and top 20 for Harris English for me. Let's look at his stats, though. 
Ball striking, 13th. Strokes gain approaching the green, 25th. Proximity from the rough, tied for 143rd. Scrambling percentage, 6th. Bogey avoidance, 3rd. And then strokes gain putting, 18th. So he kind of actually has the best stats out of the three golfers I've listed. And him, just like Xander, him and Xander are probably the two best at scrambling and avoiding bogeys on PJ Tour. Sixth in scrambling percentage, third in bogey avoidance. That's I'm putting a lot of my eggs into this bogey avoidance basket this weekend. I just think it, it seems like the right kind of stats to look at when you're talking about an event that's just going to be bogeys galore. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Uh, also, pretty good putter. He's the best putter of the three that I've listed as well, 18th in, uh, in strokes gained putting. And also, I mentioned how he finishes at the top of the leaderboard. Six of his last eight starts, if I did the math right, he finished in the top 20. Tied for 12th at the Tour Championship, second at the Northern Trust. And one of the two that, uh, I said six of eight, there was a seventh that he finished tied for 23rd, so just outside the top 20. And then I think the eighth, he was like 40th. So Harris English, underrated golfer. I think a lot of value on him this week. Uh, I'm not going to take him to win at 80-1, to but I like the top 10 and top 20 prices, especially with how he's been finishing in the top 10 and top 20 with such consistency. So that's my third and final pick. Let's just touch on some other golfers that you guys probably want to hear about really quick. Tiger Woods, 40-1. to I mean, you know, you guys know my spiel about Tiger Woods. I love him. I would love to see him win, but I just can't trust him with how he's been playing lately and his age, and this course is, just might beat him up. Also, don't forget, back in 2006, probably one of the few guys that played here when the major was there back in 2006, him and Phil. Might be a couple other guys as well. Uh, th- this was the first... Um, missed cut in a major that he ever had was the 2006 U.S. Open at Winged Foot. First time he missed a cut at the major. So his history here is not great. He missed he missed a cut here. So don't love Tiger. Uh, Dustin Johnson I actually really like this week. Uh, if I can get him at better odds, kind of once the tournament gets going, I might take an overweight bet on him. Big reason is he's one of the best golfers and hitting over the rough. That proximity from the rough stat he's unbelievable in. Um, and then John Rahm, I like John Rahm as well, just because of how hot he's been recently and how well he played at the BMW Championship when he won that, which was a difficult course. Justin Thomas, don't like him because of his putting. He's like 114th in strokes gained putting, I guess I should say last season. And these greens are just diabolical. I, I don't think he's... He's going to have to get hot with a, with a f- flat stick this weekend if he wants to have success. You can't be 111th in strokes gained putting and do well at this course, I don't think. Uh, Morikawa, I mean, I doubted him in the PJ Championship. He ended up winning, so I mean, I'm just staying away. I don't think 16 to one's a good price on him. He's not good out of the rough either. But PJ Championship had a lot, lot of rough, and he did well there. So what do I know? Uh, Rory McIlroy just way too in- inconsistent recently, especially in majors. He just absolutely implodes in the first round and then can't catch up. DeChambeau, 25 to one. I kind of like the value there, but he just hasn't really been in good form. But maybe he's picked it up recently. Webb Simpson, 25 to one, kind of the same thing. Guy who got off to a fire start at the start of the uh, PJ Tour restart, but just hasn't been good recently in the past few events. Daniel Berger, 28 to 1. I don't hate that pick. Cantley, don't like him. He hasn't been good enough uh, since the restart. Matsuyama, one of the worst putters on tour. Great ball striker, can't putt. Don't like him. Jason Day is dead last in that proximity from the rough stats. I don't like him. Patrick Reed, fuck you. He makes me sick. 
Uh, his stats aren't good enough either. Tommy Fleetwood's like a poor man's Tony Finau. Not going to bet on him. Adam Scott's only been in a couple events back uh, since the restart. He only did like one or two events since the restart. So I don't think he's in good enough form just quite yet. Terrell Hatton, 40 to 1. Uh, that's an interesting play. I wouldn't mind Terrell Hatton. But he's, uh, I mean, if you've watched him at all or, or listened to him when he's mic'd up, uh, he gets into his own head quite a bit. <laughs> uh, I don't think he has the mental fortitude to win at this course, so don't love Terrell Hatton there. Justin Rose hasn't played great this uh, since the restart. Don't really love him. Matthew Fitzpatrick might be a sneaky dark horse. Uh, great putter. He has some other question marks, though, that kind of make me hesitate. Victor Hovland, 50-1. to 1, That's not a bad bet. He's kind of the opposite of Matthew Fitzpatrick, where his ball striking stats are fantastic, but he can't really putt. If Victor Hovland and Matthew Fitzpatrick could combine their games, then they'd be the best guy on tour. Yeah, and that's it. So I guess I did end up just going through everyone on the odds list and giving my thoughts. Uh, I mean, Ricky Fowler, Adam Major, I can't trust it. Paul Casey, 66-1. to 1. Paul Casey might actually not be a bad look at 66-1. to 1. Matthew Wolf, not consistent enough. Uh, so there you go. That is my betting preview. Five key stats, actually six key stats, and my three golfers that I'll be backing for the U.S. Open. It's going to be fun. Also, I definitely can't wait for the uh, for the Masters in November. That's going to be nuts to see the Masters in the fall. That's going to be wild. Uh, but let's move on to my favorite portion of the show. This is where I give you all winners by actually giving you losers. That's right. It's a UFC portion of the show. Not a pay-per-view event this weekend. It's just a fight night, but it's a very good fight night. Very good card. I got three picks for it. I hope you all faded me again last weekend with my Angela Hill pick. Uh, I hope you all just took Michelle Waterson and blindly faded me. Actually, I mean, to be fair, if I'm defending myself and Angela Hill, Hill, I actually thought Angela Hill won that fight. I uh, went to decision. I thought she should have won at 48-47. But that's UFC judging, and to be honest, it wasn't the worst decision in the world. It wasn't a bad beat. Uh, just, I mean, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys thought Michelle Waterson won. I thought Angela Hill did, but whatever. Uh, regardless, if you faded me again last weekend, that was like an even money winner for you. Uh, so you are welcome. It's actually amazing how bad I've been at UFC. This, like, I'm so bad betting on UFC this year. It's actually impressive, and I'm actually amazing. I might be the best UFC better in the world for everyone who just bets against me. Like, take my plays, send them out as your own, except, you know, do the opposite, and you'd be, you might become famous for being a fantastic UFC better. I would do it myself, but like I've said before, you can't fade yourself because it creates a paradox and it might end the world. It creates a rip in the space-time continuum. That's science. Main event, Colby Covington minus 340 versus Tyron Woodley plus 260. When I saw this fight was made, I wanted to put my mortgage on Colby Covington. But then I saw the odds minus 360. I was like, oh, okay. Well, sports books know what they're doing as well. But this fight seems so obvious to me. Tyron Woodley is definitely, I mean, he's done. Can I say that? Is it too rude for me to say that? Kamaru Usman stole his soul when he beat him for the belt. And then Gilbert Burns stole whatever was left of his soul. Tyron, I mean, Tyron Woodley's done. I mean, not only that, he, he's, to be fair, I mean, he's being given terrible matchups. Usman, Burns, and now Covington are probably the worst matchups in the UFC that Tyron Woodley could have because he's bad against guys who pressure fight him. Uh, guys who are, like, scared of his power and kind of stay away from him and just try to stand and strike with him in the middle of the cage, those guys get beat by Woodley. But guys who aren't afraid to get hit, who pressure him, who have good cage awareness, who can cut off the cage, who can force him up against the fence, can... Uh, oat wrestle him those are the guys who beat Woodley and that's what Colby Covington is I mean him and Kamaru Usman are basically the same fighter we saw that when Usman and Covington fought each other 
uh, Usman ended up um, get, getting the finish near the end, but that was a very close fight up until that finish. Uh, both guys have almost the exact same style. So uh, if Usman handled Woodley with ease, Covington's going to handle him with ease. So Covington's going to win that. Uh, it's too early in the week for the prop odds to be out for Covington by finish. Uh, but five rounds of Colby Covington just destroying you. You don't really have a soul left. It's You're already kind of no confidence. I think that's the bet to make. I'm going to take Covington to finish Tyron Woodley. I hope I can get it at least close to plus money. The way Covington fights, it's kind of like a long-distance, go-to-decision kind of fighter. Leads me to believe maybe I should be able to get Covington close to even money for him to win the fight by finish. Um, if not by finish, actually going to be a great bet for this, would be to bet on round bet for Covington to win by in either the 4th or the 5th, because that's probably when he's going to do it. He's going to suck whatever is left of Woodley's soul out of his body uh, for the first three rounds, and then get, get a late finish when Woodley's just gassed in the 4th or 5th. That's my guess. So that means you all should bet Woodley. That's a pretty good price, plus 260. You guys are going to get a nice little payday on that. <laughs> My second bet, I got three bets in this UFC card. My second bet, going with the co-main event, Donald Cerrone. Going with Cerrone, plus 128 against Nico Price. So this is just a classic Donald Cerrone spot to bet on him. He's lost four in a row against probably some of the literally the best guys in the division, and now he gets Nico Price. This is classic Cerrone. He fights the top guys in whatever division he's in. He loses, he loses, loses, and then the UFC gives him a guy who's not a top guy, and then he murks him. Uh, this reminds me, like, back in 2018, he lost three straight, and then he came out and murked Yancey Medeiros in the first round. This is just who Donald Cerrone is. Nico, I mean, well, first of all, Nico Price is not Conor McGregor, not Justin Gaethje, not Tony Ferguson. So this is a step down in competition for Donald Cerrone. Also, Cerrone probably won against Pettis in his last time out. Nico Price is not on those guys' level. Cerrone's either the worst of the top-tier fighters, or he's the very best of the second-tier of fighters. Nico Price, definitely not a top-tier guy. Probably belongs in that middle of the pack of the second-tier fighters. Also, Cerrone just had a kid last week, uh, or the week before at some point. But remember last time he had a kid? That, and then he like came out and looked like a man possessed like his next three or four fights, and he won them all easily. The old dad factor of handicapping. Big for Donald Cerrone. Love him in this fight. Love him as an underdog. Plus 128. I know I say to fade me. I know I say that in UFC and you probably should. Probably should take Nico Price. But I absolutely love Cerrone as an underdog here. Love it. Love it. And my third and final pick for the UFC card is actually another underdog. Uh, it's in the female fight on the main card. Ronda Marcos plus 145 against Mackenzie Dern. Uh, so I don't know if you guys... Was this a podcast? Maybe I just put it out on Twitter. Maybe it's a YouTube video. I don't know. But I tried to fade Mackenzie Dern in her last fight. She was a huge favorite against Hannah Cyphers. Uh, and it actually started to look good uh, the first like three or four minutes. And then Hannah Cyphers had a brain fart or something and didn't step away when uh, Mackenzie Dern grabbed her legs while already on the ground. Listen, this is the deal of this fight. Mackenzie Dern, easily the best female grappler in the UFC. Easily. The amount of, I mean, look at her Wikipedia page. She wins world championships for breakfast, basically, in jiu-jitsu. She's an amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, but she's also probably the worst striker female in the UFC and worst female uh, as far as takedowns, as far as wrestling, getting the other fighter to the ground. She has a takedown percentage in the UFC of 7%. 7%. That has to be one of the worst takedown percentages in the UFC. She also can't, like, she sucks at striking. She... It looks like she's in a street fight when she tries to throw throw hands and box. So 
best grappler, definitely. If this fight ends up on the ground, she's going to win. But can she even take it to the ground? 7% takedown percentage. And also, she's definitely not going to win a, a stand-up stri- uh, striking fight either. Randa Marcos, on the other hand, pretty good. Takedown defense of 58%, which isn't great, but that should be at least good enough to stop Dern's shitty excuses for takedowns. Also, Randa Marcos is a decent uh, grappler as well. She only has one submission loss, so if it does go to the ground, hopefully she can at least last the round and get out of the round. But Mackenzie Dern is a favorite when she has no striking ability and no takedown ability. I will take Randa Marcos at plus 145 underdog. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, probably the hottest UFC fighter, by the way. I don't know. Would you guys agree with that? Is that is that is that bad? Do I get canceled for saying that I think a UFC fighter is hot? She's got. I think she's the hottest UFC fighter. Uh, but she sucks as far as striking and, and grappling goes. I love her, but I'm fading her. Fading her in this one. Random America was plus one forty five. Um, which also kind of brings me to a point about the UFC. I was talking to Scott Scott Hastings about this a couple weeks ago. I think I'm addicted to betting on UFC underdogs, and I think that's part of the reason why I suck so much at it. Because every single fight, I look at it, and I just hate betting favorites, especially if it's, like, higher than minus 150, and a lot of UFC fights are. So it's like I look at a fight, and then I, like, see the underdog, and I try to convince myself why the underdog's a good bet. Instead of just handicapping the event and then just betting whether or not I think there's value, whether it's favorite or underdog, I'm, like, automatically biased. Like, I want to bet on the underdog in every single fight, it seems like. So I, th- I think i got to stop doing that. I think that's why my UFC betting has been so bad this year. I'm just addicted to betting on underdogs, and I force bets that I probably shouldn't make just because I want to see an underdog win. I don't know. Something to think about. Because <laughs> there you go. Three, three, uh, two of my three picks are underdogs, and then my one non-underdog, I want to bet on them to win like the fourth round or fifth rounds for big money. So, uh, yeah, I should probably stop doing that. All right. Those, uh, that's the gambling portion of the podcast for today. Uh, we're going to finish off this portion with the gambler's prayer. I hope you have learned it by now. Please bow your heads. Gambler, oh gambler, please bless our bets this week and save us from bad beats. Allow our wins to outweigh our losses and our tilt bets be successful. May our bank rolls grow and our Twitter trolls stay silent. We ask you that you giveth more than you taketh, gambler, oh gambler, be with us this week. In the name of the favorite, the underdog, and the over-under. All right, let's get into the final portion of the show. Uh, the first portion actually took longer than I expected, so this portion is going to be pretty quick. Uh, really, all I want to talk about is how to get in the sports betting world, because I get guys who send me DMs on Twitter all the time. By the way, my DMs are open. Feel free to send me a DM if, if you want. I like talking to people. I have a lot of DM conversations all going on at once. I'll tell you how to get started in the sports betting world, or at least sports media in general. Just start doing it. So I started my first role in sports media whatsoever. I started writing for my university newspaper, and also at the same time I started writing uh, for the MMA news website called MMA Latest News, which I don't think exists anymore. I've talked about this before on the podcast, and also I don't really just want to talk about my life previously, but the point is... I did freelance work for complete for free for no money whatsoever while I was in school. And then once I was out of school, I kept doing the MMA latest news stuff for free. I wrote for the website. I edited for the website. I ran their social media or at least helped run their social media for free. Sports media is an extremely almost impossible job to get without any experience. So 
I mean, I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. You have to have experience for people to hire you for those positions. Uh, so start the experience however you can. Start, you know, writing for your local paper. See if your local paper will let you do uh, columns for free. Uh, start just start a blog. Just start writing yourself. Um, from a sports betting standpoint specifically, start putting out picks, but start doing write-ups with your picks. I see like the 95% of quote-unquote sports bettors on Twitter who are trying to make it in the business just put out the, their picks. Here's my picks for the day. I like the Blue Jays minus 120 and the White Sox plus 110 and rah, rah, rah. But why do you like those picks? Another thing I see of people DMing me looking for a job. Hey, Ian, I'm 12-3 and three in my last 15 picks. Do you think Odd Shark's hiring right now? Come on, guys. <laughs> I definitely was not hired for my sports betting record. Hey, this guy is on a hot streak his last 20 picks. Let's give him a full-time job at Odd Shark. No. My job, at least the role I'm in, has nothing to do with how good I am at sports betting. One, I'm a social media manager. The other stuff I kind of voluntarily do. Uh, as an addition to my sports man or my social media management job. Number two, nobody cares about your picks if 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 they're just boring, or if you're just putting out the picks yourself. It's all about creating content. We're in the business of content creation. We aren't in the business of just listing our picks. So start writing up write ups with why you why you like the why do you like the White Sox today? Break it down for us. Um, something I see a lot of people do. A lot of people just hide behind faceless names on twitter and just like they'll have like uh leonardo dicaprio from wolf of wall street as their avatar and their name is like larry's you know larry's locks 25 3 as their username like if you want a job in this industry you have to put out your 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 face out there you have to take chances one thing that i see hardly anyone do is video content and that's the best way to get your face out there. Make a daily video on Twitter of your picks, a two-minute video of your top three picks and why you like them. I see people asking for jobs, and then I ask, well, do you have any writing experience? No. Do you have any you know, social media experience? No. Have you been creating any content? Do you have a blog? No. Do you have a YouTube channel with videos? No. But I went 12-2 and two on my picks last week. <laughs> So I don't want to trash. I don't I mean I don't want to trash anyone who's sent me that kind of DM before. That I mean that's fine. I get it. It's a sweet job to have. It's a sweet business to get into. But um, you can't just get the job just because you're a guy who had a good record or because you're friends with someone or something like that. You have to at least have some experience doing it previously. So just start doing it. You don't need to work for Odd Shark to start writing a blog. You don't need to work for Odd Shark to start a YouTube channel where you break down your best bets every day. At least then it builds a portfolio so when you apply for a job, you can say, hey, look, here's my experience doing it. This is my YouTube channel. You can look up all, all the videos I made of my picks. It'll, it'll at least give you a little bit of a portfolio. So, that I mean, that's my advice. Just start doing it. And if an opportunity comes up, if you see an opportunity somewhere on the Internet, say yes to every single opportunity you get. And hopefully preparation will meet opportunity and you'll be able to jump all over it and take advantage of it and get the job that you want. But don't just assume that you can get the job without any experience, without any freelance work, without any volunteer work, without even starting your own blog or own video channel or anything like that. Do the work, be prepared, and when the opportunity comes up, you'll have the portfolio there that will help you get the job you're looking for. So that's my advice on how to get a job in the sports media world or the sports betting world, whatever it is that you're looking forward to. Um, I'm going to answer one, 
user email. Someone sent me an email, by the way. You can email me uh, with questions you want me to answer on the podcast at baconbetspodcast at gmail.com. That is baconbetspodcast at gmail.com. Or is it just bacon bets? No, it is bacon bet. It's baconbetspodcast at gmail.com. Don't use this email address to ask me how I feel about a pick. Uh, someone sent me one. Hey, Ian, what do you think of Bucks Saints over 47 and a half? <laughs> send me a DM on Twitter if you want my thoughts on a pick. Don't uh, don't send me an email to this address. This is just for questions for the podcast, and that game's already happened, so I can't tackle it. Uh, I have had a few, though, but I will uh, say this one because this one kind of sticks out. I talked about the hardest and easiest sports to handicap a couple weeks ago in the podcast. Um, I asked you to send me an email if you had thoughts. I'm picking this one because his a lot of his thoughts are actually the complete opposite of mine, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Andrew Yoder. Or Andrew Yoder. I think it's Andrew Yoder. Let's go with that. Shout out to you, my friend. Uh, the easiest one he finds, NBA. Uh, you're right. NBA games are all about individual players and matchups and teams that, and, and matchups and not team play. That's why I primarily take player props makes it easy when picking game lines matchups and are outrageously important to me. So I don't bet on it. NBA, by the way, if you want to see my rankings, listen to the podcast a few weeks ago, just skip to the end. Um, NBA didn't include because I don't bet on it, but NBA player props, these playoffs are actually something that I think I might actually start looking into next NBA season. Uh, Joe, obviously my one of the, my co-workers, Joe Osborne, has been crushing the player props in the NBA, and this email as well from Andrew Yoder actually made me think maybe that's the way to look at NBA's player props because that was my issue why I don't watch NBA or bet on it because I just find it so individual. Teams don't really care about winning or losing in the regular season a lot of the time. They just care about their stat lines. Uh, so maybe he, he brings up a good point. I might look into that next NBA season and start doing player props only. Now he has easier to NFL. Don't really look at much data. Some lines just make sense. I mean, that's kind of my issue with NFL. That's why I think it's so hard because I'm a big data guy. I like backing stats when I make bet on sports. So you can't really do it in the NFL because it's such a small sample size. And that's one of the reasons why I suck at it. How the, how's this game looking, by the way? Giants fourth and one. Looks like they're going for it. Uh, six points right now third quarter halfway through the third this is a big play oh you're passing with daniel jones on fourth and one when you have saquon barkley and he's flushed out of the pocket and he throws over his shoulder to saquon barkley who gets the first all right sweet uh if the giants can cover that that'd be really good so right now by the way i'm five and nine with my week one nfl picks so if the giants can cover and the broncos covered night seven and one i can salvage my week or they both lose and i'm five and eleven if i'm five and eleven it's gonna be a long road to 262 nfl bets but i digress let's move on WNBA is his next one for andrew yoder whoever is hot tends to win more than one sport uh more than other sports and there are often very funky lines with great value i'm sure there is but i'm already not a big nba fan i'm so i just can't bring myself to watch WNBA as well there's only so many hours in a day then he says he has ATP tennis next on the list but he doesn't give a reason why uh tennis another thing only so many I can only watch so many sports <laughs> it's just not enough hours in the day same with soccer that's next on his, on his list low total scores make stuff random kind of similar to hockey uh MLB says fucking impossible I don't know why I just lose constantly uh maybe you should look into stats a little bit more maybe that's why you find NFL easier but MLB harder MLB is a big stat sport or at least I have decent success looking at stats college basketball his hardest is my easiest college basketball and MLB two big stat sports and those are the ones you find hardest Andrew so I would suggest maybe start handicapping by looking at stats a little bit more 
uh, teamrankings.com, great website for stats, by the way. Also, Fangraphs for baseball. Yeah, Fangraphs for baseball, teamrankings.com for college basketball. These are kids, he says, and their performances are much more inconsistent. Disagree. Uh, I would know I played in college and some teammates just didn't care and some it was their entire life. Tough to tell from a betting perspective. I'm interested what team he played for. Like, did he actually play like D1, like has a chance to go for the tournament kind of college basketball or did he play D3? Because there's a difference. Uh, these guys are actually have a legitimate shot at making the tournament. I think they care. But I mean, my record speaks for itself. College basketball is pretty solid in that. Listen, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll, I'm straight up with the sports I suck at. I'm, I'll be, but I'll also be honest and say I'm good at the sports I'm good at. Um, also with my record, by the way, I've had people asking for my record this season or in 2020, I was keeping track all the way up until the pandemic. Uh, if you were following me on Twitter, you know, I was tweeting it out every single week, even the bad sports. I was being very honest with it. Uh, I stopped with the pandemic, uh, to be completely honest. When it started back up, I kind of thought sports was going to be canceled again. And I thought, I don't know. I, I kind of got lazy if I'm, <laughs> if I'm just being honest. Once, once sports came back, I got lazy with tracking my record. So I'm tracking NFL and then everything else, starting 2021, when this year is fresh, I'll be tracking everything else as well. So I didn't track my MLB. I'm pretty sure I'm up money at MLB. Did track the whole college basketball season. I hit a 58 point something percent spreads and totals only. I'll be tracking NFL, uh, but I lost track of golf. I lost track of UFC. I can tell you golf and UFC are definitely down. UFC more than golf. Uh, I've had some good weeks recently in golf, so I might be close back up to kind of square, but I'm uh, probably still down a little in golf. Down a lot in UFC for sure. MLB, I think I'm up, but I don't know for sure. Um, so there you have it, everyone. That is the September 15th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. Giants are in the red zone. I hope they can score here. I really hope they can cover. Um, speaking of that, I will be back Thursday morning with my NFL-only show. I'll be give, I'll be recapping week one. Hopefully I'll be there with a 7-9 and nine record so I can salvage it. And then I'll be breaking down my picks for week two of the NFL season. So once again, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, donate if you want to. Best of luck with your bets from now until then. I'll speak to you on Thursday. I love you all. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.